Well, I'm uh, <clears throat> really uh, just honored today, uh, excited. Um, uh, my uh, cross-country coach from high school is here, uh, Mr. Tim Nixon, who um, really I, w- I wouldn't be standing here today if it hadn't been for the way that he reached out to me when I was a, a really self-centered, smart-mouth punk uh, 13-year-old kid at Liberty Junior High School in 1983. And so... Um, if you guys are glad that there's a wellspring, go by and say hi to Tim after church today and say thanks for loving Bob, because that's why we're here today. Part of it, obviously, and I think God had something to do with it, but you know. Anyways, very honored, and uh, my friend Steve is here with him too. So um, we're going to continue on in this journey um, of the season of Lent, kind of going deeper into this, this long discussion that Jesus was having with the remaining disciples on the very last night of his life, a conversation known as the Upper Room Discourse. The Last Supper had been eaten, um, and then Jesus starts to unveil these really just troubling things, that there would be betrayal and denial uh, amongst those disciples. And, um, and Jesus is saying also, guys, my, my time on earth here is drawing to a close. And as we mentioned last week, this series of really tough news just one after the other kind of has the disciples reeling and Jesus realizes man I've got to I've got to encourage these guys I've got to give them some sense of that there's there's hope on the other side of all of these apparent tragedies and so last week we started chapter 14 of John and, and Jesus began that chapter with this phrase this command do not let your hearts be troubled Even in light of what I've just told you, as overwhelming as that feels, don't let your hearts be troubled. He's trying to reassure them that his leaving will actually be a good thing for them. He says, guys, I'm going to prepare a place for you. And I'll come back and I'm going to bring you to be with me. And he's saying, guys, if you could just lift your eyes up off of your present circumstances right now. And just trust in me a little bit. Believe in me. He says, if you can do those things, then, then you're going to do greater things than even I did. And in the moment to those disciples, it looked like everything was a complete mess. And really, in the next 12 to 16 hours, it was just going to continue to go downhill from, the, from their earthly perspective. It was going to get chaotic. But if they had, could have had the benefit of kind of pulling the lens back a little bit, They would have seen that the grand narrative of what was going on was filled with hope and promise. The resurrection of a new normal was just around the corner. And you know, I thought about that. That probably really applies to our life as well. In the midst of some of the valleys and the dark places that we get into in life, I think if we could just pull the lens back just a little bit, we'd see that the bigger story is filled with more promise than we're probably willing to admit in those moments. I want you to go ahead and open your Bibles to John chapter 14. It's page 982. At the end of our time last week, we looked at verses 12 through 14, which was filled with some pretty amazing promises, like we said, that Jesus said, guys, you guys will do even greater things than I did. He says, you can ask for whatever you want in my name, And I'll do it for you. So what's our end of the bargain in this? Because those sound like some amazing promises. 
Well, I want you to look, and we'll put it up on the screen here too. There's this common theme in this passage we're looking at today in verses 15, 21, 23, and 24. And they say this, verse 15, if you love me, keep my commands. Verse 21, whoever has my commands and keeps them is the one who loves me. The one who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I too will love them and show myself to them. Verse 23, Jesus replied, anyone who loves me will obey my teaching. My Father will love them, and we will come to them and make our home with them. Verse 24, anyone who does not love me will not obey my teaching. In case you didn't understand it the one way, I'm going to flip it, right, (laughs) and say it the other. These words you hear are not my own. They belong to the Father who sent me. So there's this theme of love expressed in obedience. Love and obedience. Love and obedience. Over and over again. That's what love is. It's expressed in action. How do we know that Jesus loved his Father? How do we know that? Raise your hand. Because he came to earth and he did everything that we did so that he could show God what humans were like and he didn't have to do that. Yeah. He was obedient to, to God's plan for his life, which included what? Yeah, included temptation. What else? Yeah, being tortured and killed, right? We know that Jesus loved the Father because he was obedient to him even unto death. That's a pretty strong indication, right, that you, that you love somebody when you're willing to obey at that level. If your children say that they love you, but then they continue to do disobedient things to you, you would start to wonder, wouldn't you? Like, do they really love me? Because they're saying it, but they're not doing anything I'm asking them to do. Some of you might be wondering right now if your children love you, right? (laughs) Love expressing itself in obedience. John uh, wrote about this topic in extensive, uh later on in his life in the letters. So I want you to flip back to the back of your Bibles to 1 John chapter 2. It's page uh, 1116. So the same writer of John the Gospel is writing later in his life now. 1 John chapter 2, we're going to start in verse 3. He says, we know that we have come to know him if we keep his commands. Whoever says, I know him, but does not do what he commands is a liar. And the truth is not in that person. But if anyone obeys his word, love for God is truly made complete in them. This is how we know we are in him. Whoever claims to live in him must live as Jesus did. That was kind of one of our our anchor verses for that series on the Jesus way, right? If anyone claims to love him, they must live as Jesus did. There's just no other option or way around it, no shortcuts. We have to live self-sacrificially like him. Now, you can flip back to, to John 14. We'll be back in there in a moment. But it's very important that we grasp the order of things here. 
okay? Love is what motivates us to obey. Loving comes before keeping the commands, okay? John Piper said this, keeping his word is the result of loving him, not the same as loving him. In other words, if you love God, the natural result will be that you will keep his commands. You can't really have one without the other. You won't be able to help yourself. Now let's back it up even a little bit further here. Okay, this is going to be the easiest Sunday school question I'll ever ask you. We're just going to make a list of all the things we love about Jesus. Okay? Really easy. Why do we love Jesus? And we're going to put it up on the screen. Don't say because Bob said I should or whatever. Okay? Yes. Because Jesus loves me. All right, that's a good one. All right? What else? Why else do we love him? How do we know that he loves me? I guess would be the better question. He forgives. He suffered for me. Type quickly, Todd. What else? He forgives. He suffered for me. What's that? The Bible. He gave us God's word. Yeah. What else? He died for me. What else? I thought this was going to be an easy question. <laughs> Apparently, this is like, you know, theology 501. Yes. He shows us how we should live. So he was an example for us. Great. Yes. Gary. He's always with me. He gives us grace that we don't deserve, right? Yes. I can trust that everything's going to work together for good. Okay. B minus maybe. I don't know. Spring break brain, I guess, is the problem here. Okay? Now, when you look at these things and you think of a a person who's offering and, and granting you these things, like why wouldn't you want to obey this person? And here's the amazing thing about this is that he's the initiator of all of it. He's the initiator. As John put it um, in his writing, he said, we love because he what? He first loved us, right? That's how Steve started. That was great, right? God, guys, we're not initiating the love We're only responding to the love that's been offered to us. I don't obey God. The reason I obey God is not to be loved. It's because I am loved. Did you hear that? It's because I am loved. It's all about gratitude. Now, when my children turned three at the Miller home... I did not hand them a book of the Miller family rules to be followed, okay? Kristen and I, over the course of, you know, those first few years of their life, we, we loved our kids, we served our kids, we were self-sacrificial in, in our care for them like all good parents are, hoping that along the way that we'd be developing some trust and some deep 
intimacy with our kids so that when they became, you know, mentally capable enough, we would begin handing them a rule here, a rule there, usually for their benefit that, that we would like for them to obey and we kind of expect them to follow, hoping that they trust us enough that they'll kind of listen to us, right? Things all parents say like, look both ways before you cross the street, or don't put your hand on the stove when it's on, right? Only one leg per pant hole. <laughs> Never cheer for the Jayhawks. Things all parents say. <laughs> As we sit around with no team to cheer for today, jealous of the team that's still playing. But I digress. But it all begins with the relationship and the love that I've initiated towards my kids, hoping that they'll respond to my wife and I with obedience. Now, most of my kids did pretty good with that. My youngest daughter, Kenzie, is kind of the sassy one, and she used to like to say, you're not the boss of me. God and Jesus are the boss of me. And I'm like, well, you got a point there, kid, all right? Those of you that know her now could never imagine her saying that, right? So obedience, guys, at its core begins with gratitude. Because of all the things that God has done for me, I long to obey him. As one commentator put it, I read this week, loving Jesus is not a matter of doing excellent things. It's a matter of delighting in an excellent Savior. And I think that we're all self-aware enough to be willing to admit that we are not going to be perfect in being obedient towards God, right? I mean, we have all got our own hang-ups and troubled spots where we just have a hard time uh, being obedient, following through. Some of us, for whatever reason, are wired to be a little bit more rebellious than other people. Any, Any rebels out there that, yeah, man, it's just... Yeah. So how do we know that we're on the right track? How do we know we're on the right track? I want you to flip back to John chapter 3. John chapter 3. Verse 19 says this. This is the verdict Light has come into the world, but people love darkness instead of light because their deeds were evil. People loved the darkness. Even today, people love darkness. They prefer it. They crave it. Talking about the Pharisees, some of the religious leaders, Jesus said in John 12, 43, He said, for they loved human praise more than praise from God. They longed for it. They craved it. So one confirmation that our heart's in the right place, that we really do love God, even though we might not be perfectly obedient all the time, is to ask ourselves this question. Could I say that more often than not, My heart yearns 
to do what is true and noble and good. Could I say that more often than not, that's what my heart yearns for, that I'm repulsed at times by the darkness in me, that I want nothing more than to be rid of some of the sinful patterns in my life. If, if that's the, the desire of your heart, I, I think that's mine, then you're on the right path. <laughs> and what's my motivation? What's my motivation for wanting to do that? It's because of God's love for me. Because of God's love for me. In the most critical hours of Jesus' life, Peter kind of blows it, doesn't he? Right? He's got this opportunity on several occasions to kind of to stand up and say he's with Jesus, but instead he denies ever knowing the guy. Pretty much to kind of save his own life because he's a little worried that they might throw him in jail too. And this just shatters Peter. And when he hears that rooster crow and that prophecy fulfilled, the scripture says that he wept bitterly. He wept bitterly. He thought he'd just blown it. And honestly, in that moment, he probably questioned whether he really loved God at all. Just like sometimes we can question that about ourselves when we're kind of mucking around in the cesspool of our sin at different times in life. But Jesus, Jesus knew better about Peter. And a couple weeks later, he's, he's resurrected now. He comes back in his resurrected body to, to engage his disciples again in conversation. And, and he's got that moment where he comes face to face with Peter. Right, and you guys are aware of that conversation, most of you, you know, Jesus gives him the opportunity to kind of be reinstated. He says three different times, Peter, do you love me? And we know Peter responds, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. But then what did Jesus say would be the proof of that love? What does he say to him? If you love me, what? Feed my sheep. If you love me, Feed my sheep. Obey my command. Love expressing itself in action. Peter, when you talk, I don't want it to just be this sentimental thing. We're not going to hold hands around the campfire and sing Kumbaya here. At some point, our love must manifest itself in obedience, especially when it demands self-sacrifice. Now, to be honest, folks, I really need you to keep something in mind here, okay? And so, figuratively, I want you to kind of put your scuba gear on, okay? Because we're going to go to deep waters theologically for a moment, all right? (laughs) My wife was just talking last night. She's like, I have no desire to go scuba diving. Anyways. Listen to this. If we are truly born again, if we are truly a new creation in Christ, that means that we are one with him. And we're going to look at this in Scripture a little bit here in a moment, some more. And if we understand that we are one with Christ, there's no separation between us, nothing can come between us, we are one with him, 
then we honestly can't help ourselves, can we? But to be obedient. If Jesus Christ was, was obedient to the Father, even unto death, and we are one with Jesus, how can we not be obedient? It would go against who we are as followers of Christ. It's in our DNA now as a new creation in Jesus, as, as image bearers of God. It's who we are when we live out of our true identity. You want to know your true identity? We're going to look at that, that kind of once broken down disciple Peter, what he wrote later on in his life. In 1 Peter 2.9, he says this. He says, but you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. That's who we are in Christ, whether we feel like it or not. That's your identity. Here's the tricky part, though. It is a daily, sometimes moment-by-moment choice that we have to make to live from that perspective. We need help to be the people that God says that we are, right? And luckily, we have a Heavenly Father who understood that we would need help. So I want you to look, we're back in John 14 now, verses 16 and 17. Jesus says, after he says, if you love me, keep my commands, he says, and I will ask the Father... And he will give you another advocate to help you and be with you forever, the spirit of truth. The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him, for he lives with you and will be in you. So Jesus says, I'm sending you another advocate or helper. Now, I want you to think about this because it was true of the disciples and it's true of us now. The disciples and, and us, we already have an advocate in our Heavenly Father, right, who created us, knows us, loves us, has plans for our life. All of his intentions for us are good. That's a good advocate to begin with. And then we have this advocate named Jesus who in just a moment, as he's speaking with his disciples, is going to literally lay his life down so that those disciples and each one of us could be completely free from sin, that we could have eternal life, experience full joy, unconditional love. We've got an amazing advocate in the Father and his Son, and now Jesus is saying, I'm going to send you another advocate. That's how messed up you guys are. You need three advocates to help you, right? He says, I'm going to send you my Holy Spirit that's going to live inside of you. He's, he's not only going to be with you, He's going to be in you. After Jesus' death, resurrection, and ascension into heaven, God, through the Holy Spirit, is going to take up residence in your heart. Look back at verse 23 that we looked at earlier. Jesus said, we will come to them and make our home with them. 
Scripture says that you and I are temples of the living God. God in us, right? Emmanuel. The power that we need to be obedient to all God's commands is living right inside of us. Again, let's listen to Peter's words at the end of his life. 2 Peter 1.3, he says this, His divine power has given us everything we need for a godly life through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. Folks, I hope that you're connecting the dots here this morning. As God has done everything for us, everything, he's initiated the love. All we have to do is simply just respond to it with gratitude. Then he says, in response to that, I want you to obey my commands or honestly, like you won't even be able to help yourself. But guess what? I'm going to come live inside of you to give you the power to do that very thing. I'm setting you up to succeed here. I want the best for you. God has given us every resource, Peter says, to live the life that he's called us to live. It's at our disposal. I hope you notice when Jesus is giving these last words to the disciples that he's not just giving them tips to obedience. He's giving them relationship. Relationship. Just like I don't give my child a rule book of the way I'd like our home or our life to operate, I give them myself. Over the years, faithful, enduring, self-sacrificial love, hoping that that will cause them to want to obey the commands that I might have for them. And because they know their love, they love me back and try to do their best. Our staff here at Wellspring, with my staff, my greatest role in their life is I want to love them well. Right? I want them to know that their spiritual lives Their personal lives are more important to me than what they produce for Wellspring. And hopefully as they feel cared for, then they'll want to honor God by obeying me as their boss. And most of them do a pretty good job of that, except Kelsey gets a little sassy sometimes. But Oh, she's right there. (laughs) She could smack me if she wanted to. A key step, though, at some point for all of us in those relationships is this, though. Whether it's a parent, whether it's a boss, or some other authority, is that we have to acknowledge their lordship over our life. We have to acknowledge their lordship over our life. And if we can obey our imperfect parents or our imperfect boss, why would we not want to obey our perfect, loving Savior who gave his life for us. Just like Jesus spoke comfort into the troubled hearts of his disciples in those moments of kind of chaos and crisis, confusion, he speaks those same words into our life now. He has tremendous promises for those who love and obey him. And to each one of us, even when we fail, which is inevitable, But in those moments of failure, 
our Savior comes to us and he, and he picks us up and he dusts us off. And depending on where our heart is in the moment, he might need to bandage up a wound or wipe a tear away or massage a heart that's kind of gotten hard. And he looks at each one of us and he asks us a question that he already knows the answer to. Do you love me? But he doesn't settle for us just responding with, yes, you know I love you. He reminds us of what the proof of that love will look like in our lives. He says to each one of us, well, if you love me, then feed my sheep. Honestly, sometimes he means it literally, like what we talked about earlier today. (laughs) Feed my starving sheep. Other times he means, guys, give your life away. Serve other people. Make it your life's mission to be to feed other people God's word, teaching them, correcting them, encouraging them in the scriptures, ushering in light, the kingdom of light into the darkness in this world. That's how I know that you love me. So my prayer for us today is this. It's the prayer that Peter ended his second letter with in 2 Peter 3.18. The last verse in the book says this, but grow in grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To him be glory both now and forever. Amen. Grow in grace and knowledge. The more aware that we become of the links at which God went to save us, the more aware that we become of kind of the red carpet that he's rolled out for us by by loving us first, by offering us eternal life, by giving us the Holy Spirit so that we can obey him and we grow in appreciation for that, man, it's gonna be so much easier for us to love others, to willingly and gladly obey him. But he also calls Jesus Lord and Savior. He has to be both of those things in your life. He is both of those things, whether we acknowledge it or not. It's up to us to live like those things are true. But guys, it begins with gratitude. It begins for us today with just responding to his unbelievable love for us. And as we come to the communion table, it represents a lot of different things which is what makes it beautiful. One of the things that it represents is that Jesus was explaining it, and he said, here, take my body, take my blood. We're, we're literally consuming Christ. It's a, it's a tangible expression that Jesus is in us as he's going to be today as we consume his body, giving us the power that we need to live the life that he's called us to. As we have some quiet time here for prayer, um, the ushers will dismiss you to come forward and and take communion. You're going to tear a piece of the bread and dip it in the cup. We also have gluten-free crackers that will be down on this end um, for those that need that as well. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this, this reminder today, this long discussion that you had with your disciples 
And God, just thank you for making it so easy to love you. Lord, again, like you, you, you've done everything for us. You created us. You give us life and breath. You loved us while we were still sinners. You died for us. You give us your Holy Spirit to help us be like you. You, you say that, you're, that we're one with you, which I can't even understand. <laughs> but God, just as we look at the things that are in Scripture that we know that we're supposed to do, whether that's loving our enemy or or tithing at church or feeding the poor or forgiving the person that's wounded us. Lord, you've given us every resource that we need to be able to do those things. So I pray that you would help us, help us as a community to remind one another who we are in Christ. Even when we fail, even when like Peter, we don't feel like it, (laughs) you come and you remind us, no, I know you love me. I know you do. Show me your love by caring for those people around you. God, hear our prayers as we just give you some silent space to speak to us this morning.